You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Let me pray for us as we open God's Word. Father, we thank you for your presence in our life. We thank you that you have made a people for yourself, and you've called us to yourself, Lord, and you are building your church, and we are your family. Lord, you created man. You created family. And it was good, and it is good, because you are redeeming and reconciling everything to yourself. um, We don't understand why you did the things the way you did. We don't understand why... um, the family structure exists apart from your goodness and to reflect your glory. And this is the way that you have created things, Lord. And we ask that you would help us as we open your word this morning to understand your heart in all of this. We get lost in the midst of the pressures of this world. We get caught up in the current of the culture around us at times, Lord. We repent of that, Lord. We truly want to be your sons and daughters, doing things your way for your glory, for our good. And so, Lord, please help us. Um, I pray that this morning, uh, by your Holy Spirit, there would be great comfort, great encouragement. I pray there would be conviction that you would change us. Help us to see the things um, that need to be changed in our life, Lord. Help us to see our priorities and where they are. Help us, Lord, to see our hearts more clearly. Give ourselves to you fully, Lord, so we might be more like your son. Father, help me to be clear. Help me to um, only say the things you want me to say for the benefit and edification of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are with us last week, we were kind of finishing up our series on the life of Joseph. We started this last September and uh, with a few detours, have come to the conclusion of our, of our study of this uh, amazing man who was used of God, protected by God, sent by God to save the world and ultimately to save God's people. And so we got to see um, his life. We got to see, um, even through struggle, we got to see this man come through it, worshiping the Lord. We got to see the salvation of his family. And so we, we went through that last week. We kind of summarized, recapped the overarching theme being God meant it for good and that God is sovereign, that God has the right and the power to do whatever he decides to do. He has the right and the power to do whatever he decides to do. He is sovereign, and that is good when he is a good God. And we looked at his providential care, the providence of God, really the application of sovereignty, working out all things for his purposes. For our good. And so we got to see that in the, in the life here, and we walked through some of those things. And so ultimately, that was really the culmination of the study. Um, this morning, I want to read through chapter 50 and break it up into two parts. And what I want to look at here is, um, and I've never really looked at the story like this. It's Father's Day. It was not my intent to read into the story a Father's Day message, but instead to look at this as a story about a family and drawing out just some principles, some 
picture, a portrait of a father's love and a father's legacy. So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis 50. You may recall that we've already seen Jacob um, bless his sons. We saw him uh, bestow his final blessing. They were really prophetic blessings about what was going to happen to the future of Israel and the tribes. And, and so the blessings were also judgments. They were a calling out of the consequences of, of the sinful actions or the, or the righteous actions of his sons. And so all of those were blessings to his family. And then Jacob was able to pass away in peace, having seen his son Joseph. And in verse 33 of chapter 49, it says, When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And chapter 50 begins with, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, And he was made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. In this first half, um, I kind of want to just take a look at a portrait of Jacob and Joseph as father and son and how they interacted with one another. Um, and we're going to take, we're going to look back at a few other passages as well. You may recall that uh, Jacob um, loved Joseph more than the other brothers. Remember that in chapter 37? We talked about favoritism and some of the dangers and the pitfalls with all of that. And it probably wasn't wise for Jacob to display that so openly. But he loved him more. It doesn't say he didn't love his other sons. He just loved Joseph more. If we look at the story, we see why. We see that Jacob having... Um, having escaped from his, his brother's wrath after stealing the birthright, tricking his brother, tricking his father, he goes to his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban has some daughters, and Leah's the, the, the oldest, and Rachel, and, and Jacob is just instantly enamored 
I mean, we say we love things. We say we love people. We say we love pizza and burgers, and we kind of we kind of put them all in the same bucket, right? Our our words sometimes betray us. We we love things maybe temporarily, but he he really loved her. He was enamored by her to the point where he asked for permission to marry her, and Laban was like, "Well, I want to get some work out of this kid, so." If you work for seven years for me, you can, you can have her hand in marriage. And the scriptures say that, that seven years were like a few days for Jacob. It was like a few days for him. This is, how much he, this, is, this is how much he had such great affection. The object of his affection was right there in front of him. And I can't imagine working seven years and maybe in just a few days. But if you could think about it, think about going out into the field and watching the flock or doing other chores around, and maybe there's a day in year three where you start to get tired and wonder, is this really worth it, right? The sun's beating down. Do I really want to go? And then, you see, and then he sees Rachel coming out to do her chores. And he's reminded, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's why I'm doing this. And the day would just go by and the next day. But seven years were like a few days for him. That's how much he loved her. And then he was, of course, tricked on his wedding night. He ended up um, marrying Leah because Laban wanted his firstborn to be married first. And so um, Jacob said, well, I still want to marry Rachel. Well, work for seven more years for me. And he did that. And he loved her more. That was, that was who he wanted to be with. And Rachel couldn't give him children at first. And so Leah bore her children, and then Rachel provided her maidservants. And finally... Toward the end of the, the, this part of the family story, Rachel was able to conceive. And in his old age, he had Joseph, his second to youngest, right? His, his 11th born son. And then Benjamin was born, and Rachel died in childbirth. And so this, this woman that he, he loved that much gave him these two sons in his old age. So he loved Joseph because it was in his old age, but he also loved Joseph because of Rachel, Every time he saw these young men, he was reminded of his first love, who died. Right? There was a great sadness there, but there was great joy in these boys. So we can understand more. When we looked at that family history, we already talked about some of these things. We can understand the depth of mourning and the depth of grieving when he thought Joseph had died, when he thought he was mauled by a wild animal and his brothers were deceive, uh, deceiving him. And so Joseph was sold into slavery Jacob did not want to be comforted. He loved his son that much. I think there were some other reasons why he loved his son that much. If you look at how Joseph honored his father, he was a here I am type of a guy. Jacob said, I want you to go do this. And and Joseph went and did it. And what he brought a bad report back from his brothers, right? And so he was given position of authority. He was given the multicolored coat. He was given, he was given a status above his brothers, even though he was younger. And then God provided the dreams, which kind of confirmed some of that, as we saw later on in the story. But, but there's, there's an affection there, too, that came with an honoring component. How they loved one another made a difference. So, so Jacob was probably not right in his favoritism in general, but Joseph was also honoring to his dad. He was doing the right things. He was obedient. His brothers were not. They were going out with the flock, and they were, they were not doing the right things. They were not taking care of the family business. They were not honoring to their father. Proverbs 23, 22. Proverbs 23, 22 says, and we'll read 22 through 24. It says, listen to your father who gave you life. And when I read that, I can't help but think of the, 
the common phrase that we have, right? I, I brought you into this world, right? You can finish it. Listen to your father who gave you life, right? There's an implication here that I have authority over things. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, understanding. Spend whatever you have to and get these things. They're that important. Verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The father of a righteous son, the father of someone who is wise, will rejoice. They're going to be glad. There's a glad heart there, right? When, when, our, when our children do the right thing, when our sons and daughters do the right things, it makes us feel good. Right? There's a rejoicing that takes place. And Solomon says, let your father and mother be glad. He's talking to the children now. Let them be glad. Do the right thing. Honor them. Let them rejoice. So we see this mutual affection. We see this mutual honoring and respect. That's key. Right? The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Right? So it'll go well with you. You'll live long in the land. Right? There's, a, there's a promise that comes with this commandment. And so Joseph honored his father. His father loved him because of it. That's how it's supposed to be. That's God's design. Remember, God, he instituted, he designed marriage. He, he's the one that, that instituted the family. He builds families. He put things in the right order. Have you ever thought about why, you know, Adam and Eve were created from dust? Why didn't he just create everybody like that? Why go through the whole, you know, having children, raising them from from infancy, like what, what is, what's the point of that whole process? In God's view and in God's purposes, it's good. And so he, he provides families for children to be taken care of, to be raised up, to be trained up, to glorify God, to know him, to send them out. And so this is how God chose to propagate the earth. And so when we see a father and son like this, this is how it's supposed to be. And there's imperfections here like any of us have with our relationships. But in general, it's reciprocal. Any of the instructions for fathers in the scriptures typically come with instructions for the children too. Right? We're supposed to be honoring one another. Joseph did that. His father loved him. His other brothers did not honor him. And we see the, the consequences of that. Their, their father couldn't even be comforted when he lost Joseph. If they would have told the truth, he would have been comforted. They chose not to. And then there's this whole period of time that just nothing happens in this family. We find them sitting in the basement staring at each other, right? When, Joseph, when Jacob says, go get some grain. We're all going to die here. Not a really fun picture. So loving each other well is important. And then we see when, when Jacob finds out that Joseph's still alive, what does he want to do? What's his first action? I want to go see him before I die. That's it. His, his, the remainder of his time, he wants to see his son. He doesn't want to build any more wealth. He doesn't want to take care of things at home. He's not interested in sightseeing. Right? He just wants to go see his son before he dies. That's it. That's the last thing he wants to do. His son, his family is, is much more important than anything else. That's his legacy. God's promises go through the families. Right? They don't go through the possessions. And so he wants to see his son. Uh, found an interesting quote from General Douglas MacArthur about priorities. A man at the pinnacle as a five-star general in his profession. 
It says, by profession, this is his quote, I am a soldier and take pride in that fact. But I am prouder, infinitely prouder, to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build. A father only builds, never destroys. The one has potentialities of death, the other embodies creation of life. And while the hordes of death are mighty, the battalions of life are mightier still. It is my hope that my son, when I am gone, will remember me not from the battle, but in the home, repeating with him our simple daily prayer, our Father who art in heaven. His legacy was not about how many medals he had on his chest or stars on his shoulder or how many battles he could win or how much acclaim or how many books would be written about him in the history books. And it wasn't about that. That was not the legacy that was important to him. It was what does his son remember about the home? What does his son remember about what was passed on to him, about his faith? And in the same way, we see Jacob hurrying as fast as he can to get there to see his son one more time. And when they see each other, what do they do? They fall on each other's necks and they embrace and, and they're, 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 there's, there's tears, there's crying, there's this sense of just overwhelming joy, rejoicing at this reunion. Being apart for so long, still having affection for one another after all those years, still desiring. What was Joseph's first thing when he, when he found out his brothers were there and he, he knew who they were and he was testing them? What did he ask about? He asked about his father. How's, do you have a father, right? He was asking questions without revealing who he was. He wanted to know how his father was doing. He cared for him. He didn't assume his father abandoned him and didn't try to find him or look for him. He didn't have any of those assumptions. He just wanted to see him again. There are far too many families where people do not speak to one another. There's one little thing that, that creates a rift, and no one's willing to, to say, I'm sorry. No one's willing to pick up the phone. No one's willing to have a conversation. And years and years and years go by. There's no benefit to that. That's not what, what God's design had in store for us. This is, the, this is to bring rejoicing in our hearts. This is, to bring, this is to bring good to our souls, to have a family that loves one another, cares for one another, honors one another. And we see Jacob loving his son, and we see Joseph loving his father, as it should be. And Joseph respected his father, even as he's in Egypt, and even as he's still, Joseph is in control, he's second in command, yet he still respects his father and places him in a, in a, in a place of protection so that they can propagate and their, their, their family can grow. So they've loved one another. So that was kind of the, the first part of this. And we see Joseph in the first part of 50, Genesis 50, still honoring his dad. He fell on his father's face. He wept over him. He kissed him. This is true affection. This is true sorrow. And then he commanded his servants to embalm him. And there was, there was this great weeping for 70 days by the Egyptians. And Joseph honored his dad by, by finishing, completing his final wishes. Do you notice how Joseph went to Pharaoh's family first, to the to the household of Pharaoh, not the Pharaoh himself. Why? Because he's still a man under command. He's still a man under orders, right? Pharaoh is probably not someone you want to mess with. Is Pharaoh really going to be that excited about leaving his, his number one guy go away for a couple weeks to grieve his father and to bury him? He's still in charge of everything that's happening. He's in charge of all of Egypt. It's really tough to shut that down. It's tough for the, the main person who has control over everything to take a break, to take a vacation. 
There's probably some fear that maybe he'll go back and like where he's at. Maybe he'll want to stay where his old home was. Maybe he'll be tough. So I don't know if he sent all of his guys just to kind of make sure that Joseph came back or if there was just this sense of, out of respect for Joseph, a great company went, horses and chariots and all the elders. And But Joseph, being a very wise negotiator, very shrewd diplomat, went to the family and said, please ask Pharaoh if I can go and fulfill the wishes of my father. He's probably tugging on the heartstrings of some people that are a little more empathetic in the, in the palace, right? Talking to someone who's, who's got to talk to Pharaoh and, you know, let's, let's let him go. So Pharaoh lets him go and he goes and he honors his dad even in death by doing exactly what his father asked. And there's a great witness that takes place there and all of Egypt is mourning. And so they loved each other well, even, even after his death, his son honored him. So that's kind of the first part um, that I saw when I read through this chapter 50 verses 1 through 14 was just this honoring component and really a great picture for us. How do we, how do we love our children? How do we love them and see their good and rejoice in those things and give them more responsibility if, if they're doing the right things? How do we provide instruction and discipline if they're doing the wrong things? How do we love them as God's called us to? How do, we, how do, how do children honor our parents, even after we're out of the home. Remember, when we're in the home, as children who are under the protection and care of our parents, we are to obey our parents. Because they are, they are given the, the responsibility to care for our physical well-being, but also our hearts, our spiritual well-being. And so we're to obey them. This pleases the Lord. But once we're out of the house, we no longer have to obey our parents. We're not under their care and their protection anymore in the same way, but we are to always honor them. And parents, we are to be those that are honorable. Right? Do you see yourself? So there's always a reciprocation that takes place, and I see this beautiful picture here, and that's, um, I want that for, for my family, for, for my sons, that we love one another like this. It's going to be imperfect. It's not always going to work out exactly the way we want. But in general, we're moving in that direction. That's pleasing to the Lord. The second thing here that I saw in the first 14 verses is that a father is to be leaving a legacy. A father needs to leave a legacy behind. There's work to be done. There's investment to be had. We can't take all the toys with us. We can't take any any material goods. Anything that we leave as far as like a nameplate on a building or... Um, some work that we have done, that just fades. People forget. But we imprint our lives onto, onto our immediate families, and that, that perpetuates onward. Right? We, we pass on our faith to our children, and we pray for them, and we pray that they would glorify God with their lives. That's the legacy that we leave. And Jacob, as he was um, coming back to Egypt, and he was excited to see his son. All he wanted to do was die after that. I'm ready to die. I've seen my son. I'm done. Right? This is all I wanted. And yet God gave him 17 more years on earth. He gave him 17 more years to spend with his family. So whether or not you, maybe in your older years, think that your time is done, you've got nothing left to give, until you have that final breath leave your body, God has a work for you to do. He has fatherly work for you to do, whether it's in your own family or whether it's in the church. So many young people think they, 
they, they have it all together. They don't need any help. They've had, they have it all figured out. So many older folks feel like I'm of no use. Nobody needs my help. They're both wrong, right? <laughs> you need to get those two groups together and help grow the next generation of godly men and women. And Jacob was ready. He was, I'm done. I've seen my son. I'm ready to die. God's like, no, I've got 17 more years of things for you to do. And we see the result of that. Look at how much mourning. Look at, look at, look at the impact he had on Egypt as a whole. We don't know even what kind of impact he had on the rest of the family. He had more to give than he probably realizes. He probably doesn't even realize that even through all his mistakes and all of his sins, as he even as he raised Joseph, he was imparting good things. He was imparting godliness into Joseph's life. How did Joseph learn how to trust God? How did Joseph even know who God was? We just, we just get these snapshots. We see a 17-year-old being put in slavery and then him being faithful in prison for 13 years in, in, in slavery and then in prison and then put into the palace. And we see that God was with him and, and God's steadfast love was on him and God made him succeed in everything he did. But how did Joseph even know about God in the first place? How did he even know to honor his father when he was working for him? How did he even know what was right and wrong when it came to what the brothers were doing? How did he know that that temptation from Potiphar's wife was wrong and that he'd be sinning against God by doing? How did he know those things? There was definitely revelation from God. God spoke to this family. But it's likely that Jacob talked about this as he went, as he walked along the road, as he, as he lied down in bed. He, he talked about this great God. And so he was passing these things along as he went, maybe not even realizing it. Sometimes we feel like we have nothing to give, but all, if, if we give our time and we're having these conversations with our children, with our grandchildren, with, our, with younger people in the church, we're, we're saying things that might seem you know, minimal to us, not as important to us. Maybe they're not even hearing. They're, they're always hearing. Our children are always listening. Right? Some of the best conversations I have with my sons are not the ones when I'm trying to control the environment and trying to have a formal time. That's, that's useful and helpful, but it's when I invite them to come into the car when we're going to the hardware store, or we're going to, going to pick something up, or I just got to take a ride over here, I'm going to take a walk, you want to come with me. And then there's time and there's, there's space to think, right? And they ask questions, and hopefully I have answers to questions. And so the, the thing that I pull out of this is that Jacob was leaving a legacy all along. And Joseph's life is a result of that. And then even as he spent those last 17 years, we don't know exactly what he did, but God had him do work. He was part of that family. Joseph was busy running the whole show. Someone needed to get this family settled, make sure they were making wise decisions, make sure they were staying out of the the pagan society and influence. And so for those those of you who feel like your time's done, there's nothing left for you to do. Why are you here? God has you here for a reason. There's always something to do until your last breath. Ask him. Pray and say, Lord, what what would you have me do? And he might have you do some difficult things. I know you're you're killing time with this and you really enjoy doing that and and, and but I want you to spend more time doing these things. I want you to spend more time praying for your family. If you have an estranged relationship with a son or a daughter and no one's having a conversation, you pray about that. God is the God of the impossible. He changes things. He can cause someone to change their heart. He can cause someone to think differently and to pick up the phone, at least have a conversation. Maybe he wants you to ask for forgiveness. 
Maybe he wants you to repent of your sin, to move toward your family again. Because this is honoring to the Lord. This is pleasing to him. Maybe you're the child in this, in this situation and haven't spoken to your father or your mother in a long time. Maybe you need to move toward them in repentance and forgiveness. And What is God asking you to do? There's still work to be done. And you might think, I, I'm, they're not in my house anymore. I have nothing really to say. There's no real conversations happening. Uh, they don't really want my advice. If you offer yourself and you love them and pray for them, they're going to ask you questions. They're going to trust you. They're going to want to have more conversations. And when you prayerfully answer those questions, not out of a personal sense of agenda or I want this for, for my reasons, and, but because it honors the Lord because you know the word and you're providing sound wisdom, if you do those things in that way, they're going to see the difference and they're going to ask more questions. It may be one word in a period of a month, but that might change that person's, that might change your family's life. It might be the one thing someone needs to hear and they can't hear it from anyone else. They need to hear it from you. And you might have to wait another couple months before God uses you again. I don't know. Ask the Lord. While you still have breath in your body, you have work to do. And men and fathers, we have a fatherly role, whether in our own families, and if you don't have a family to invest in, to provide counsel, to impart wisdom, you have God's family, the church. We have young men who need mentors, who need to be discipled, who need to see someone who's walked further than they have in the Christian walk, who can learn from experiences, who know God's word, who can, who can bring people back on the straight and narrow path instead of always veering off. We, we need this. We need this type of investment in the church. Don't assume that you are irrelevant and that no one will listen to you. Spend time in God's word, spend time in prayer, then you will have something of worth to say, and they will listen. God will invite you into moments to change people's lives. And so we see this portrait of a father and son. We see Jacob ultimately leaving a legacy, not only for Joseph's sake, but blessing his sons. He's passing on the promises of God, right? He's, before he died, he talked about what God was doing and the promise he was, he was giving this away. In chapter 48, Jacob's um, talking to Joseph, and Joseph had just brought his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, in to be blessed just to, to see his father. It says, Then Israel summoned his strength, in verse 2. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you a fruitful I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So this is passing on the same promises, the covenant that he made with Abraham and that he renewed with Isaac and that he renewed with Jacob. Jacob is now passing this on to Joseph. God says, I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And then remember, he, he took Ephraim and Manasseh, and he, 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 he brought them into the fold of his own, um, as, as one of his own sons, so that he can impart the proper inheritance on them. And then later, in chapter 48, verse 15, when he was blessing them, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. 
And in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my father is Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. Just powerful words. Can you imagine having that blessing bestowed upon you? So he, he left a legacy, um, I think partly without even realizing it, as he talked about God throughout the, the life of Joseph and his sons, as Joseph left the home forcefully. And although we see a portrait in this family of a people that need a savior, we see a microcosm of humanity in many of their sinful actions. We also see a picture of what could be. We see some really good things because they desire to honor the Lord. So a father and son, they love each other well. A father leaves a legacy. Doesn't just give up. Doesn't say, Lord, I'm done. I'm ready to go. He says, Lord, here I am. And continues on. Even if he needs help to get out of bed. Even if he needs help walking down the hall. Even if doesn't have quite as much energy anymore. There's always something to do. The second half, uh, I just want to look at uh, verses 15 on. Um, the attributes of a good father from Joseph's life. The attributes of a good father from Joseph's life. And what we're looking at here is that Joseph, without realizing it, even as one of the youngest in the family, became a father figure to many. He took on that role. God thrust him into that role, but he was faithful in it. To the point where, as we see at the end here, Joseph actually dies before his brothers. I was having a conversation with someone about that. It was just an interesting piece of information. We don't know how many brothers, but he did. Let's read um, in chapter 50, verse 15. So they buried his father. They returned to Egypt. He, was, he honored his father by burying him. He honored Pharaoh by coming back. He's a man of integrity. On verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So we see that Joseph died... Uh, before his brothers, because he was talking to his brothers. Once again, I don't know how many. Maybe some had passed away. We don't know. But obviously there were others who outlived him. 
And it's just interesting, those who are placed in positions of authority, those who take on the fatherly role, take on all the stress and responsibility that goes with it. But have you ever seen a um, you know, government official, like a president, they go into office, they've got nice dark hair, they, they look tan, they look like they're, they're healthy in general, they're full of vigor, ready to take on, and within a couple of years, and even after four, they look like they've just been you know, put through the ringer. They, they look like they've aged exponentially. And they come out of office, and you're like, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Deal with all this, right? And that's just what happens when there's, when there's responsibility placed on people. I, I get these Shutterfly notifications on my phone. So Shutterfly is an app for um, uh, uh, photo albums. You can make calendars, and I make calendars for my family every year, so I put my albums on there. And so as part of their marketing, they, they remind you memories from three years ago, memories from 10 years ago. And you get to see these pictures pop up, and they want you to buy stuff, but you just get to see pictures popping up from from a long time ago, and I, I looked at some of the pictures of before my sons were born or just shortly after, and man, I like dark, thick hair. I, it looked like I actually exercised once in a while, had this, had this vigor and this, right? I just, I don't know. And now it's like, look what happens. Not that many years later, the, the physical results of raising two sons, of raising a family, and perhaps of... of, of of uh, shepherding um, God's people as well. So, so this is thanks to all of you. So, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks. But we see him passing away before all of his brothers, and the way he speaks is more like a fatherly figure. And so he has all these attributes of a good father that, that just are, are kind of bouncing off of the pages. The first one is that a father, a, patient, a father is patient and forgiving. One of the good attributes of a father, he's patient and forgiving. Joseph has been patient all along the way, right? When his brothers came, after all that they had done to him, after all that he suffered, they came to Egypt, and he could have had them put to death. He could have had them instantly killed or put into slavery or put into prison, and he didn't. Instead, he was patient, and he, he tested them like a good father would, right? There was a discipline component there. He wanted to see where their hearts were. He wanted to draw out the spirit of repentance, not just a worldly regret, but an actually godly remorse for what they had done. Had they really changed? That's a, that's a fatherly-like thing to do. And so he stood before them, and he, and he tested them, and he loved them. And we talked about him being an agent of reconciliation. His goal was to bring them together. His goal was to, to come back together as a family, not to perpetuate argumentation or fights. He didn't want to have vengeance. Even, even when he sent them back off to go get their father. He, what was his last words to them? And, and he gave them everything they needed. And what did he say? He's like, don't fight along the way, right? He just had to tell them, he's the younger brother, but yet like a father, like a father figure, don't, don't fight. So his, his goal was reconciliation. That's what a good father does. He's patient. When my sons are having a, a fight and, and things are happening, I'm not egging them on. I'm not telling one of them, well, that wasn't a really good insult. Try this one next time. Or get your elbow up a little higher. You're not, you're not following through, right? I'm not egging on a, a, a battle. I'm not trying to get them to... I want what? I want reconciliation. I want them to take responsibility for what they've done. Do you understand how you hurt your brother? Do you understand how your words matter? I might still talk about the hook just for other purposes, but, but right, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them, I'm training them, I'm a loving father, I'm, not, I'm having patience, I want them to, to, be gro- to grow up into godly men who take responsibility for their actions, who try to reconcile instead of argue. 
And he did that. He trained them up. He was forgiving. And look at what, look at what they did anyway. So Jacob dies. Jacob is, has passed. He's been buried. And his brothers, they feel like Jacob was their kind of protection against their brother Joseph, right? As long as, as, long as our father Jacob's here, Joseph's not going to do anything to us. And they, go, they revert right back to this fear. In verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they, they said it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil. After everything he's done, they still feared him. So they send a message. To, so they're forging a final word from their father, right? Oh, and by the way, you know, dad forgot to give this to you, and it's, it looks kind of like my handwriting, but it's not, trust me. And he's, he said, please don't kill us and give us one of your chariots. And right? He's just forging all this. They, they just want to be protected. They don't want Joseph to go off on them or do something to them. And so Joseph, once again, has, he's got compassion on them. He's got patience with them. He doesn't get angry with them. What does he do? His heart breaks. He weeps when he speaks to them. And he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of, I'm not in the place of God. And what's, what's interesting about that line, do not fear, for am I in the place of God. And he talks about God meaning evil, but or they meaning evil, but God meant it for good to bring about. He was invoking God's name. He's, he's um, allowing the brothers to understand that God's the one that you have to repent to. He's the one that will judge you, not me. And as a good father, patient, forgiving, he points people back to the Lord. As much as this is the right thing to do, I want you to understand it from the heart level. So talk to the Lord about that. Talk to your heavenly father about that. He points them toward the Lord. He tested them, essentially disciplined them. He forgave them. He reconciled with them. He did all these good things. He was very patient with them, like a loving father. As, as fathers here this morning, are you patient with your children? Even if they're grown children, are you patient? Ephesians chapter 6, as well as Colossians 3, similar Similar verbiage from Paul as he writes, talking about the new kingdom um, expectations for families, the, the household rules for, for, for believers in Jesus Christ. This is how we are to live now because culturally they lived in a, in a place that was very harsh. The fathers were in control. Fathers had full authority. In Roman culture in first century Rome, fathers had absolute authority over their families and they lorded it over their families and they abused that power for their own benefit. And children at that time, um, when a child was born, if a child was deformed or a child was weak, the father could actually have that child killed and abandoned. At any time, he could sell his child into slavery. Children were considered kind of an annoyance to some degree because they got in the way of, of clean divorces. It's a horrible picture. The child was born, and the... The mother or the midwife would lay the child on the ground. If the father picked the child up, then he accepted it into the family. If he left it there, they all walked away. The child was left on its own to either die, be picked up by someone else, and be, be raised as a slave. This is the culture that the church is growing into. Right? This, is, this is the time in which Paul is writing these letters to these churches who are trying to make a complete shift in how they think about everything under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in this new kingdom ethic. And so in light of that, he talks to wives and husbands about mutually submitting to one another, loving one another, respecting one another. This was unheard of. This is all new stuff. 
And then he talks to children and parents. In chapter 6, Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he begins with the children. He's addressing children. So children are in the congregation. They're listening to these things. They're part of corporate worship. And he says, children, you need, to be, you need to obey your parents in the Lord. This is your service to God. This pleases him, it says in Colossians 3. Obedience is huge for God. It teaches them not only how to respect and honor their parents, it also trains them to learn to obey their heavenly father as well. And for, for, for any of you children out here who think that obedience is something kind of give or take, and I'll do it if I have to, or if, I, if it feels good for the day, and this is a gift to all you fathers, by the way, for, for Father's Day. Um, in Romans 1, when we're, we, we talked about this last week a little bit, the, the reason for the wrath of God coming, all the bad news before the good news, right? In Romans 1, talking about all the, the terrible things people are doing, it says, verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what, they, what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. This, this, listen to this list. <clears throat> all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And here's an important one. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So it seems like a weird thing to have in this horrible list, right? And yet this is on the same level as murderers and strife and deceit, maliciousness, and slanders, haters of God, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, Foolish, faithless, ruthless, heartless. Right in there is disobedient to parents. Why is that? Because God created the family institution. It's for our good to obey our parents. In the Lord. If, if our parents are asking us to do things to denounce Jesus as Lord, to do things that are against what Scripture says, then we, we are not to obey those things, but still somehow honor our family. But ultimately, with good parents, we are to obey them. Are they going to be right every time? Am I right every time? No. 99.9% of the time, right? But not every time. And as a parent, I'm modeling that with my children. I say, you know what? I was wrong about that. I'm sorry about that. It doesn't give you the right to assume you have authority over me now, right? But we model those things. So children are to obey the parents in the Lord. This is right. This is pleasing to God. It's good to go well with you if you honor your parents. And then they don't, Paul just doesn't leave it there. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Do not arouse their wrath right? to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A lot of times as parents, as fathers, our, our job is to raise our youth into adults. Our, our young ones into adults. But the problem is we want our young ones to be adults now. And if they're not, we have, we have no patience for that. Well, that's not the job. It's to train them up. 
to be adults. They can't be adults now. They're children. They're youth. They're developing. They're growing. They're learning. We're supposed to help train them in that. But the problem comes when we, we, we want them to be here when they're only here. Our job is to help them get there. And part of the problem is not investing enough time. When we don't invest the time, we feel guilty. We feel like we haven't done our job. We know that inherently sometimes, and we get angry at ourselves, and so then we just get angry at them. That's not a good... That's not a good God-honoring, it's not a loving relationship that God is pleased with. And so we need to invest more time. We need to make this a priority. Because once again, your job, your job is to help you to provide for your family, yes. But your job is not to take over the role of your family. It's not to be a priority over your family. Your family is number one. We are to be Christians, followers of Christ. We are to be fathers and mothers husbands and wives, taking care of one another. Then we can be whatever we are in the workplace, whatever title we carry. It needs to be in that order, and a lot of times we have that just flipped around. And our families often come last. And then there's provocation. We provoke them because they're not doing the things. They're not being the good people we want them to be. They're not being the the godly men and women that we we desire them to be, but we're not training them to be that way. There's a story that I read about a father who just didn't spend a lot of time with his son, and finally they had some time, and they went fishing, and the father starts asking the son, how's he doing, and how's how's things going? And they they talk a little bit, and there's some silence, and and after a couple hours, the son finally has this opportunity, and he says, Dad, how does the boat floating right now? How does this even work? And the dad said, well, I, I actually don't know, son. So the son starts thinking about some more things. How does a fish breathe underwater? I, I don't know, son. Why is the sky blue? I don't know, son. And this goes on and on, and I don't know, and I don't know. And finally the son feels kind of bad, and he says, Dad, it, is it okay that I'm asking all these questions? And dad's like, well, of course. How are you going to learn anything if you don't ask all these questions? Right? He's not teaching him anything. He doesn't know anything. So spend the time, but then also teach Train them. You know, I spend a lot of time with corny jokes like that just because I know some of you like it, so I need a little bit more from you guys after that. That's, they're not coming back. No, I'm just kidding. But it was, a, it was an interesting picture of we, we want them to be in a certain place, but we don't invest the time to get them there. That's, that doesn't work. And so then we provoke them to anger. And we tell them what we want, what we want done, and then they get mad. And they... they they fume and they kind of keep that inside. And then we wonder why there's relationship and turmoil as they get older. And as, 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 as life goes on, there's la- lack of relationship, lack of conversation, lack of growth. Why? We never invested. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. The word means nourish them. Nourish them. If your child was sitting there, starving, ribs showing, desperate for water, desperate for food, you would feed them. You would give them something to eat. Our children are starving for the things of God. This world is giving them nothing but junk. And they need us to feed them. 
to give them spiritual drink, to give them spiritual food, to open up God's word and to give them life. This is not for a Sunday school teacher to take care of or someone else in the youth group. Those are good things to surround and to supplement, but this is your job as a father to take care of this, to lead, to love your children, to train them up, to nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we see Joseph providing all of this for his family. He's patient. He's forgiving. Joseph also projects a good father and his attributes and that he protects and provides for his family's physical needs. He puts them in a place to care for them. Look, look at his words to his brothers in verse uh, 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He comforted them. He spoke kindly to them. He reassured them. He told them everything was going to be okay. He's going to take care of them. And then lastly, the father passes on God's promises, just like Jacob did to his family and to Joseph and to Joseph's sons. Joseph does the same thing for his family, and he just models these attributes. He says in verse 24, And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's, he's sharing the promises of God. This is, this is who our God is. He will provide for you. He's going to visit you, just like he did our, our great-grandfather and our grandfather and our father, and just like he did for us. He will continue to provide. Pass this on. Tell the next generation to have hope, not to intermingle with, you, you are not Egyptians, you are not of this world. You are God's people, you are a chosen race. God will come, he will visit you, he will take you to the land that he swore. And he said it again, God will surely visit you. And then he passed away at the age of 110, having done everything God asked him to do. His last breath was still speaking of the promises of God. That's what a father does. So it might require reorganizing our lives to a greater degree to make sure that we're doing the right things. But it's worth it. This is the legacy of not just the church, but of our families. Um, By way of application, It's good to read some of the scriptures about God's fatherly love, how much he loves us, how much he has compassion on us. But read Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. Read this this part of the story of Joseph again, maybe a little bit differently. Um, I want you to think about your relationships, um, fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons. Mothers get get some time in the scriptures, but they they deserve a lot more. They, They keep the children alive long enough for the fathers to then train them up when they get older, right? I don't know how that, I mean, the, the things that the kids want to get into, they, they nurture them and help them and, and, and move them toward maturity. And um, the fathers, it's, it's really, it's, it's on us um, to train up our children in discipline and instruction of the Lord. We do that together as parents, but fathers, you need to set the environment, you need to set the tone, you need to do the things necessary to make sure that happens. So take some time to evaluate your own life, your own relationships, maybe some phone calls you need to make, maybe some changes you need to make in your life. Um, this, is all, this is what matters most. This is what goes on after you are gone. You, you, I mean, your sports equipment's got to gotta rust in the corner, Right? All the things that you collect, all of 
the great work that you do with your vocation. All those things are good and necessary, but that's not what lingers. That's not what lasts. It's these relationships. It's our legacy. So consider that this week. Pray to the Lord. Don't live in guilt and shame. Let him lift your head. Let him encourage you. And reach out and start making steps in the right direction. You're not going to do it perfectly. But we also want to progress in our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, once again, your presence in our life, that you are a good father. You're a father of the fatherless. You have great compassion on your children. You give good things when we ask, Lord. Once again, you love this to the point of sending your son to die for us. There's no greater sacrifice. There's no greater expression of love. You died for our sins so that we can be with you forever. For those who don't know you this morning, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, Lord. You would show them who you are in the scriptures. They would, by your Holy Spirit, understand how loving, how good you are. Help us, Lord, to evaluate our relationships, to turn toward you, to do things your way, to honor one another, respect one another, submit to one another, love one another, serve one another. Lord, those are the good things. Those are the things that are missing in this world. Those are the things that this world is coming against. People are hurting. People are allowing their sin to overtake their thoughts and their actions. Help us be the church. Help us to go out in mission, to share a different way, to talk about the kingdom, to talk about you, Lord Jesus, and that they can have a relationship with a good, holy, perfect Father. Lord, help us to honor our fathers today as we go and spend some time with them or have some phone calls. Lord, may it just be a blessed day for your people. Help us to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.